This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. I'm Therese Tucker. I'm the CEO and founder of Blackline. Blackline is a software as a service company that helps other companies streamline and automate their accounting operations. To admit that you failed and give up and walk away is, you know, you don't do that. You, you just continue to keep working at it until you see some success. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Therese Tucker talks about how one college course changed her life, the financial stresses of being an entrepreneur, and her strategies for founders over 40. So Therese, you have said before that you were raised without gender bias. What did you mean by that? Well, you know, I was raised on a farm in Illinois, and I was the youngest of four girls. And anybody who's ever familiar with that world knows that farm work has a lot of manual labor, all right? And my dad did not have sons to do manual labor. And so therefore, his daughters were never, ever, ever told that they couldn't do something because they were a girl. They, we all drove tractors. We, you know picked up rocks, we herded cows, we did all kinds of crazy things. And and many of those things would have typically been done by males if my father had had sons, but he didn't. And so we were available labor and it didn't matter what gender we were. I didn't realize till many years later what an incredible advantage that actually was. What made you get interested in computer programming then? Well, I went off to college, uh, like many young people do, when I was 17. And I was a business and French major. I started at a university called Illinois Wesleyan in Bloomington, Illinois. While I was there in my second year, I needed a general ed class. Uh, you know, I was, I was kind of bored with um, business and French, and I was thinking about becoming an art major, but I still needed to fulfill my general ed requirements. There happened to be a beginner computer science course. It was the only one that the university offered. I fell in love with programming in that course, and ultimately I switched to the University of Illinois that had a very good computer science department and became a computer science and math major. So you started working in tech. How did you figure out what opportunities to take as a woman in tech? Because back then, and even still today, it's not so common for a lot of women to go into the field. It's not. In fact, in my first job, uh, there were only like two other women in the entire building. 
One was another woman engineer, and one was the receptionist. Uh, it was always scary if there was somebody else in the bathroom when you went in there. It was like, oh. <laughs> um, but uh, no, you know, the first job out of college, I knew that I wanted to live in California. I had my sister out here. And, you know, I simply interviewed and looked for interesting work at that time. I think it was really about what was the work, what were the people like that I was interviewing, and would it be a good environment to work in. Did you look around and say, oh, these are the skills I need to get to? Was that part of the calculation? In my mind, I was always going to start a company. And, you know, I quit my first job at Hughes Aircraft uh, to go start my first attempt at a company, which was a wild failure. Okay, huge failure. Absolutely uh, almost starved to death. So I was always very focused on what would it take to build a company. Now, in later years, I went to work for a small company called ADS Associates that ultimately was acquired by a bigger company called SunGuard. That company, when I started there, had about 50 employees. One of the best experiences ever for learning how to build and run a company. Because I had visibility into all areas, you know, um, how they handled customer support, how they shipped software, how they, you know, did sales. That was super valuable to see all aspects of how to build a company. I would say to this day, one of the most valuable experiences to prep me for this. Besides that, they valued me and they gave me stock options, which is what I ended up using to fund Blackline for its first 12 years. Is that why you left SunGuard to start your own business, right? Because at that point, you had risen to chief technology officer. You know, I had... Um, kind of seen the writing on the wall that my career was not going to go a great deal further at SunGuard. And again, I just, I thought that there must be a better way to have a software business. Uh, one where you were, you know, you took unhappy client calls, where you worked hard to make them satisfied and feel like they got great value out of what they purchased. Um, I just, I just thought it could be done better all the way around. And of course, I had the confidence to think I was the one that could do it. So I took a year off and um, ended up starting Blackline around the end of that first year. Neat. So you were a 40-year-old single mom when you decided to start Blackline. Would you tell us more about how you got that confidence, especially since you had alluded to early in your career, you had a business that had failed? Um, you know, I, I'm not sure where the confidence came from. I think it's one of the traits of an entrepreneur because other people look at what you're trying to do and say, that's, you know, not even possible. Sometimes I think the confidence is based on ignorance, right? Because <laughs> I had no idea how hard it was going to be, but I was sure that I could do it. And then of course, once you're in the middle of it, you know, to admit that you failed and give up and walk away is, you know, you don't do that. You, you just continue to keep working at it until you see some success. But I've always thought, you know, maybe it's a product of my upbringing. I've always thought I can do that. I can do that. <laughs> Coming up, Therese Tucker details how she self-funded her software company, dealt with ageism in tech, and almost gave up on her business. 
This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. So you bootstrapped your company, meaning you self-funded it in the beginning. How did you manage that? Uh, Well, as I mentioned earlier, I had stock options from my time at ADS and then subsequently SunGuard. And that's what I used to actually fund it. I did run out of money. I then... um, liquidated my 401k. I went through all my savings. I took out a second mortgage on my house. I maxed out my credit cards. And then I started begging from friends. So it was in no way a sure thing that this would actually be successful. But once you start to get a few customers, you would feel, you know, really terrible to go out of business and let them down. So I I really felt like I needed, I owed it to them to, you know, keep it going. (laughs) You got some big customers early on, like Costco. What was it like to have those sort of early wins? Um, It was fantastic. But here's the thing about, you know, early wins. And in those days, we were selling on-prem software. So you get a win. You basically discount it to whatever it'll take to get the win. And then you work for free for a really long time to make sure that they are wildly happy. (laughs) And so... I mean, I am so thankful for our early customers because they did reference calls. They were just wonderful supporters of us. But big companies take a long time to pay and they don't necessarily pay a lot. So it's, it's, Hmm. there's double edges there. How did you handle that personal financial stress? Because it's not only your company and the employees' jobs on the line, it's your, your home, your life savings. It was terrible. You know, I would only do payroll one time a month because then I would only have to like miss like three days of sleep prior once a month instead of twice a month. Uh, It was enormously stressful. And, you know, I used to think, oh my God, I am going to be a woman in my 40s who ends up with nothing and has Mm. to start completely over. And it was terrifying. And it was stressful. And today I look like I'm 85. Oh, stop. So, Teresa, our listeners can't see you, but you have pink hair. So can you just tell us how you decided to dye your hair such a bold color? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's actually a very pastel pink. It's not a wild or bright pink. But that being said, it is probably different from the norm. Uh, It started, um, gosh, I've had it over four years now. It was a dare from my marketing department. And we were sitting there one day and they wanted me to do this very boring video. They showed me the video that they wanted mine to be modeled after. And it was an older woman with a bun and a scarf and a suit. And she was blah, blah, blah on. And (laughs) I kept saying, guys, this is so boring. 
uh, no, we can't. And they're like, no, no, we need this for these reasons. You must do this video. They wouldn't budge. And so finally, just to sort of end the conversation, I said, fine, I'll do it. And they were like, oh, thank God. And I said, but I'm going to dye my hair pink. And they said, no, you're not. And because I'm that mature, I said, yeah, I am. Okay. And then I thought, well, I now either have to back down or I have to dye my hair pink. And so I thought, well, it's only hair and it can always be dyed back. So I made an appointment at a very expensive salon because if you're going to do something that dramatic, then you want to make sure it's done as best as possible. And, uh, I absolutely loved it when I got it done. Do people relate to you, um, differently with the pink hair? Pink hair is the most amazing social experiment because everybody talks to you. Every age, every gender, every type of person thinks that you are approachable by them and talks to you. Little, little kids at the beach will bring me their beach ball right? Goth Aww. teenagers in Barnes and Noble. I mean, it's old guys hit on me. It's um, <laughs> hilarious because it signals to people that maybe you're still alive and fun <laughs> and interesting and they want to talk to you. And so I've kept it for four years because I really, um, first off, pink is my favorite color. It feels very natural and I like the interactions that I have with people as a result. Um, I just want to talk a little bit, though, about this whole aging idea, right? Because we're hearing about how hard it is for older workers to get hired in tech. And by older, I mean over the age of 45, which is not mm -hmm. old at all. How unusual were you in the tech startup world to be launching a business at age 40? You know, I think it's pretty unusual. Um, but if you think about it, that's the age when women start to get a little more free time because their kids are in school. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that there are not more, you know, women in their 40s starting businesses because it's not like you're for, you know, the prior 10 years or so that you're just carefree, right? If you've chosen mm. to be a mother. <laughs> so I, you know, yes, I think it's very unusual. It was actually the ideal time for me. It also, being an entrepreneur, gave me a ton of flexibility. You know, um, I did, I had a very narrow life. I basically had my work and my kids and nothing else. But if I needed to go to the Halloween parade or a soccer game or anything else, I could simply get up from my desk, go over to the school, stay as long as I needed, and then work in the evening after my kids went to bed. So I had maximum flexibility, which was really wonderful. What would you say to women who want to start their own company at age 40 or older? What advice would you give them? If you want to start a company at over age 40, you really do need to have about three to four times the amount of money that you think you need to have. Okay. Uh, I had somebody tell me once that everything takes twice as long. And when it comes in the door, it's half as much. Hmm. And so that is sort of rule of thumb. If you're, if you're going to do it and you should, but you got to have the money come from somewhere. Otherwise it may not work. And you may end up being a woman in her forties starting over and nobody actually wants that. There were many, many times when I regretted starting Blackline. 
when I was not sleeping from the stress, uh, you, you cannot underestimate how hard that is. Okay. I mean, it, it, so if you don't have the stomach for that, don't do it. I mean, just don't do it. It's, it's extraordinarily hard. And if I could have figured out how to give, have to just shut the whole thing down, there are several times that I would have done it. There was one point where I was uh, taking a walk with my husband and he said, I said, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of working all the time and never having any money. And I just, I just don't want to do this anymore. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I really think you're almost there. I really think that you're really close to having this thing be on solid footing. I think you should just try for another month. And I was like, oh, all right. And he was right. And it was wonderful, right? But boy, you need great friends and great supportive relationships around you to sort of tell you to keep going when you really don't want to. Do you think there's still ageism in tech now? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. And I think there's sexism too, don't you? I was going to, yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you, how do you think all this affects women differently from what you've seen? Um, I think that you have to, I mean, just really very pragmatically, I think you have to be better at your job. All right. Mm. You do stand out, um, but you just have to be better. Uh, and then you, and, and that's the requirement. And I didn't mind that, but it does make it, it, I don't believe it's an even playing field even now. How do you deal with the feelings of some people would find that really frustrating and unfair that they have to work so much harder just to get to the same level as the guys. Well, that's why I went and started my own company, right? Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I wanted to continue playing in an uneven place. And so by starting a company, I was able to, you know, form it and set up a culture that reflected my values. How come you decided to headquarter the company outside of Silicon Valley? I believe you're in Silicon Beach, as they call it. <laughs> Actually, I'm in the city of Los Angeles proper, uh, and simply because that's where I lived. And at the time, there was no Silicon Beach, all right? And, um, you know, I wasn't going to move somewhere else to start a company because I had kids in school. So I, you know, you bloom where you're planted, right? What about the culture, though, of the Valley? Because I know you had spoken about that. You know, I don't love the, the culture of Northern California, the Silicon Valley. It is, um, <clears throat> it is still a very uh, testosterone-driven culture. Uh, it is still, in fact, I was just up there a couple months ago and, you know, the city of San Francisco has sort of changed. You know, everybody's walking around on the street talking loudly on the phone about how their business plan has been funded and how <laughs> they're going to see their, yeah. And it's just, it's like, oh my God, everyone stop beating your chest. Okay. Right. Just actually go do something. Um, <laughs> so it's not my style in general. Yeah. You're known as being humble and not someone who brags. And so this doesn't surprise me. How did you get investors later on who may have been used to hearing those founders brag about how great they are to believe in you? Um, you know what? Investors, what they care about is your business model. 
And the most important thing is to have paying customers that love what you do and to have a large market in front of you. And frankly, I hope that most investors are smart enough to see through the bravado. I want to pivot to money for a second. Blackline went public in 2016. And for a founder, an IPO typically has massive financial upside. Wondering, how did that change your financial life? You know, um, money is a great tool, right? I mean, it's a problem solver. Uh, but it does not, um, it doesn't go to the dentist for you. It doesn't get you out of traffic on the 405 when you're trying <laughs> to get somewhere. It doesn't make your husband love you. Um you know, it's, it's great for problem solving. I still work full time. Um, we still live in the first house that we ever bought, uh, because it's close to my work. My husband still works full time. And so honestly, um, you know, not a lot has changed personally. We've been able to do a lot of things for our families, which has been really wonderful. That's been really a cool thing to be able to have to give. How do you decide how much to give to family and charity? Um, how do we decide? Part of it is needs, right? I mean, part of it is we're both very tapped into certain organizations that we work with very actively. Uh, part of it is we pre-planned it by setting up a what we call the safety net trust for our siblings. Um, so there's there's a number of things that were planned ahead of time in order to sort of make it very um, transparent. Uh, but I would say probably through, you know, the organizations that we know. Time now for your secrets. I'm Therese Tucker. I'm the CEO and founder of Blackline. And my money secret is you can't take it with you. So use it here. Use it wisely. Make sure that it's spent in a way that feels good and has a lasting impact. Be sure to check out more episodes of Secrets of Wealthy Women on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.